Chapter 23 of The Romance of Modern Electricity. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Romance of Modern Electricity by Charles R. Gibson. Chapter 23 Electricity and the Physician. As soon as primitive electrical machines had been constructed early in the 18th century, it became apparent that electricity had quite a startling effect upon the human body. At first, the electric shock caused great alarm, as its magnitude had been grossly exaggerated by the few experimenters who had experienced it. One distinguished Dutch scientist declared he would not take a second shock for the crown of France, while on the other hand, another experimenter announced that he was willing to die by electric shock in the interests of science. Another experimenter's wife, after receiving two shocks, was said to be rendered so weak that she could not walk, and though her husband had also suffered great convulsions, she tried a third shock, which was so violent as to cause bleeding of the nose. And so the exaggerated reports went on. As these early electrical machines became less rare, it soon became known that the shocks from them were really not so dreadful as they had been pictured. The idea of electricity being used for medical purposes seems to be very old indeed, as a writer living in the fourth century of the Christian era declares that a freedman of Tiberias was cured of the gout by a shock from a torpedo fish. I have no doubt the cure was as genuine as the many professed to have been obtained in recent times by wearing magnetic lockets, rings, or belts, or by using electric hairbrushes all of which must be placed under the category of quackery. There is no doubt that hypochondriacal invalids might receive, through their own imaginative powers, more nerve, and in this way it has been possible for quacks to display genuine testimonials. These early quackeries, no doubt, made people somewhat doubtful of the genuine attempts to use electricity as a curative power. It was found that the activity of muscles, nerves, and other tissues could be stimulated by electric currents, and some rash people at once declared that electricity was life itself. Even today, one sees in quack advertisements such statements as, quote, electricity is life, unquote. It was claimed by one experimenter that living germs had been actually formed in water by electricity, but when the matter was investigated, it was proved that the germs were associated with some impurities in the water, and when the experiment was repeated with distilled water, there was absolutely no result. Electricity is employed by the physician as an aid to diagnosis in cases of paralysis, etc., but its most important use lies in the art of healing. Until recently, one of its chief applications was the stimulating of muscles into action, by which they might be kept exercised and prevented from degenerating during a temporary breakdown of communications between the muscle and the central nervous system. With the recently acquired knowledge of the existence of invisible rays and ether waves of different kinds, there was opened up quite a new field of work. It was found that some waves destroyed the life of bacteria or retarded their growth, and in this connection may be mentioned the Finson light treatment. A Finson lamp may consist of an ordinary arc lamp, the rays from which are reflected to the diseased part, being passed through a lens of water on their way in order to obstruct the heat waves. The beneficial rays are not the ordinary light waves, but those beyond the visible spectrum, termed ultraviolet light. These ultraviolet rays are not only present in the arc light, they are plentiful in sunlight, 
but the atmosphere readily absorbs them to such an extent that the arc light is richer in these. We are all familiar with the dreaded disease tuberculosis, which when affecting certain of the internal organs, and in particular the lungs, we call consumption, and which when appearing externally, attacking the skin and underlying tissues, is known as lupus. We are all too familiar with its unpleasant appearance when it attacks the nose, mouth, or cheek of the patient, but it is not necessarily confined to the face. These tubercular diseases of the skin have long baffled the physician, although they have been shown to be due to specific organisms. But now the bacteria have succumbed to these searching rays. Footnote. While bacteria are termed organisms, it must be understood that they belong to the vegetable kingdom, just as fungi do. Some people seem to think of these microbes not only as having animal life, but as possessing a kind of intelligence or instinct by which they may make their way about from one place to another. End of footnote. Curiously enough, these same rays are most hurtful in cases of smallpox and aggravate the disease very considerably. In the case of lupus, these rays not only kill off the bacteria, but stimulate the tissue, and thus aid very materially in the patient's rapid recovery. The affected part has usually to be exposed to the rays very frequently for some months, and while a great number of cases can be pronounced complete cures, there are others that seem too far advanced to be overcome. The X-rays have been found to operate in a similar manner in cases of lupus, malignant ulcers, etc., and sometimes the two treatments are used alternately. In some cases of even 20 years standing, which had been treated by all other methods, including the surgeon's knife, only to return again, these searching rays have completely annihilated the disease. The results obtained are really marvelous, and more especially so as the majority of the cases coming for treatment are those for whom there seems no further hope of cure by other methods. In addition to the Finson light and X-ray methods, there is to be added the use of high-frequency currents, such as are obtained from large Wimshurst machines, or more recently by an arrangement of induction coils and Leiden jars. Sometimes one method is found to act better than another in particular cases, and a change of treatment is found with many patients beneficial. Again, one method is sometimes more easily applied than another, owing to the position of the diseased part, but it has been established beyond doubt that each of these methods is curative. Electricity gives the surgeon a most convenient method of cauterizing by heating a fine platinum wire on passing a current of electricity through it, and it also provides him with tiny lamps by means of which the cavities of the body may be examined. Apart from the curative properties of electricity, the possibility of being able to examine the inside of a patient is of primary importance. A patient is brought in with a fractured arm or leg, and the surgeon can at once see what injury has been done to the bones. The spinal column and ribs can be examined, but the rays do more than distinguish the skeleton, although it is in connection with the bones that the Ronkin rays are at present of chief service. With properly adjusted tubes, the heart's action may be examined, and it gives one at first quite an eerie feeling to see a friend's heart at work. In some of our large hospitals, it is a daily occurrence to have to fish coins and other foreign bodies from the throats of children. The little patient is placed between the X-ray tube and a fluorescent screen, and in a moment the coin is detected. An exact description of its position is noted and handed to the surgeon, who can fish it out easily with his coin catcher. 
By means of the X-rays and a fluorescent screen, other organs of the body are quite distinguishable, such as the lungs and the liver, and it is curious to watch the movement of the separating diaphragm at each long breath drawn by the lungs. If a needle or other foreign body be accidentally lodged in the flesh, it can at once be located and got out without unnecessary cutting. The other day, a medical man showed me an X-ray photograph he had just taken of the arm of an old lady who had met with an accident. The photograph proved that no injury had been done to the bone, but it incidentally showed a needle embedded in the arm close to the wrist, and probably carried about unconsciously for a lifetime. As the lady was over seventy years of age, and as there was no likelihood of the needle troubling her now, the matter was not mentioned to her. A specialist finding a boy's throat giving him trouble discovered by means of the x-rays a half-penny embedded in the throat tissue, the coin having evidently been there for some considerable time. It is difficult to estimate the great value of an x-ray apparatus on the battlefield for finding out at once where the bullets or fragments of shell have lodged without the painful and unsatisfactory probing formerly necessary. One can remember how even the best skill failed in the case of President Garfield of the United States, who was shot in 1881 by a disappointed office-seeker. Had the existence of these x-rays been then known, there is little doubt that the President would not have had to depart this life at the age of 50. It is impossible to tell not only how much suffering has been avoided, but how many lives have already been saved by the aid of Ronkin's discovery. The use of x-rays in taking photographs, or more particularly for curative purposes, should not be attempted except under experienced medical supervision, as too long exposure or the use of a defective tube may bring about serious burns, which in some cases have become permanent sores. Reports of such occurrences should not, however, deter any patient from submitting himself or herself to the rays under the guidance of a competent physician. End of chapter 23